welcome to Koshian Cast, the sports anime podcast where sometimes we talk about sports in anime. Uh, my name is Matt, and joining me today is a special guest. It's Matt. Hey! Could you tell, I'm wondering, uh, were you able to discern the fact that I didn't plan out my opening line before <laughs> I, I started saying it? <laughs> I did, actually. I had a very strong feeling about that. Yeah, just that brief, brief moment of panic. Uh, and then something that resembled a joke. Anyway, so this is uh, the eighth week of the summer season. We will be covering every sports anime that aired from August 20th to August 26th. Uh, Matt, do we have anything to discuss at the top of the show? Uh, I do have a question for you. Oh, okay. Who's it from? Uh, uh, from Matt Canodal. Uh-huh. Where, where's he writing from? Uh, he is writing from Indiana. Uh-huh. Uh, he would like to know... Is there any show uh, that you wish you could have covered at Co- on Koshian Cast at some point? Like, well, Matt Canodal from Indiana. Uh, thanks for calling in, by the way. I, it's <laughs> no not problem. It's not every week, except it is every week, that we have the question of the week read by the person who wrote it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so you mean like a sports anime that just didn't air in the last, you know that aired before 2016. Yeah, or maybe even something that you think, like, you almost could justify being a sports anime, but you're not really quite sure if it would have fit or not. Yeah, I mean, I guess under that definition, the best, uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is Chihayafuru. Yeah. Uh, just because it's, it's a great story. It's sort of, it's structured effectively like a sports anime, but um, but it's clearly not a sport. I think right. if if it came on today, we would still justify it. I mean, we ha- we're doing a quiz show right now. Um, <laughs> but it's sort of out outside the realm of sports anime. It's also you know uh, has a, it's a lot about like you know romance and relationships. Again, not foreign domain for sports anime. But that that's the first thing I could think of. What about you? Uh, the only the only one that comes to mind is kind of food wars just like it's not really something i think is particularly fantastic but it is one of those shows that i'm kind of i'm constantly going back and forth when i'm watching it as to whether or not i can call it a sports anime yeah uh just because so when we started this i kind of i had mentioned that i didn't think it really qualified because it it it's always changing the rules and the grading structure uh, for how it uh, for how people win matches and that, so I didn't don't think it really quite fits. At the same time, it's got like the new seasons coming on or coming up this fall, and I am kind of wondering whether or not we should do it. I don't think we should, but it is constantly in the back. Like, are people going to be like, "Well, why didn't you include food wars?" Yes. Uh, well, if people really want us to include food wars, the best way they can let us know is by emailing <laughs> us at koshiancast at gmail.com. Uh, with that or any other query. Uh, so, I appreciate your concerns. I appreciate your answer. I appreciate you. Uh, oh. You know, occasionally. And so, <laughs> uh, with that, would you be so kind as to uh, jump into Welcome to the Ballroom? Sure thing. So, this is episode eight. Uh, we have the semifinals of the Tenpei Cup. Uh, basically, Tadara is really struggling because he's sort of 
he's sort of overexerting himself to copy all the maneuvers he's learned, and he hasn't really learned how to pace himself yet, so he's kind of taking everything upon himself. Uh, during the, uh, so this sort of leads to a situation where he is forced to not do the routine that Sengoku has prepared for him because he's just completely out and wiped. Uh, Kyoto sort of interjects after this round and talk and sort of tells off Tadara uh, that he needs to quit focusing so much on Gaju and actually start competing with Shizuku. Uh, at the end of the episode, we have Tadara confront uh, Shizuku, and he learns that Shizuku feels kind of in Hyoto's spotlight and wants to sort of show him that she can compete along with him. Uh, not only that, but they learn that they did somehow manage to both advance to the finals. Yep. Um, so, again, this is... I thought this was an enjoyable episode. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that Tadara is getting to a point where his sort of natural talent is sort of beginning the best of him. I, I thought that was actually kind of an... Uh, that was kind of a nice twist. The fact that his... Just because he's observant doesn't mean he knows what to do with mm -hmm. what he's seeing. I I thought it was fine. It, it just didn't... It wasn't explicitly negative, but it didn't... It felt like it was kind of going through the motions to just get them to the next round. Because there wasn't really any focus on what they did as a pair to get them... To win that round you know it, it sort of treated their dancing itself as an afterthought yeah. and so when it says like oh how did they advance really the only input we get is tenpei himself saying like oh i liked the look in their eyes you know and so like right. okay so what do we get Tadara's charismatic because he loves dancing yeah i i get that i i feel like I don't actually mind the fact they, they kind of glossed over the round because it was really more about Tadara's, um, it, it was really more about his own weakness than anything. But then in that case, I guess I feel like he maybe should have lost and it kind of feels like the series is just advancing them because we want him to be in the finals. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of moments I liked uh, to that build-up. Like, I really liked the... I, I liked that moment when Sengoku calls out to Tadara and tells him, like, do not do the routine we prepared. Like, I kind of mm -hmm. like that sort of uncertain moment of silence. Because, like, what happens is, like, he kind of calls out. And the series just sort of makes a stop. Um, yeah, it, yeah, there's the feeling that everyone in the room is looking at him. Right, and, and like you never actually you do, it takes a moment for the series to actually focus on Tadara in that moment, and and I kind of like that moment of uncertainty because there's kind of this moment of you're not sure how Tadara is going to react to that, uh, and you're kind of not you're kind of getting a feel of the situation kind of along with the rest of the audience because you know there is that sort of like that sort of mystery of what he is even talking about. Um, I mean, you know as the viewer that he's talking like what routine he's uh doing but it kind of i like the fact that the moment like that moment sort of takes it it takes a moment to let it set in for because it's like this is everything that the series has been building up to essentially yeah. like this was supposed to be like his secret weapon 
Right, and it's like, to be actively told not to do it, I like that it took that moment to let that punch land. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought that was a very nicely done moment. Yeah, um, there, there, were, there were some upsides. Uh, two things I want to hit on is, I don't have the exact quote, but sometime when Hyodo shows up and he's kind of getting in the middle of Shizuku and Tadara and Mako and everybody... Um, Sengoku says something to the effect of, like, alright, I'm done with this soap opera. Um, and just sort of says that he's not really interested in having to mediate the relationships of these teenagers. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I kind of felt the same way. Like, as, as much as I recognize this feeling, deep feelings about people they kind of know, um, actual action for me... Uh, so I, I kind of am with Sengoku where I could do with less less soap opera in this show. Right. Like, because I get what they're going for. Like, this is kind of an interesting idea. You know, not a lot of sports anime focuses on the relationships. Like, you don't have a lot of sports anime that actually actively have female characters, like, be involved with the sport itself. True. I, I mean, we are covering Fastest Finger first, which is a series like that. And you did mention Shihaya Furu, which mm-hmm. has that. But those but are the exceptions. Of, like, those are some of the exceptions rather than the uh, than the rule. So, on one hand, I, I appreciate the fact that there that there's a... Because, you know, you have junior high students who are intermingling with one another of opposite sexes. You know, relationship drama is going to happen. But, so... I get where you're coming from. It is kind of nice to have the adult in the room being like, I'm so over this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a nice little redeeming moment for Sengoku, just a small one, because you can kind of relate to him in that moment. The other the other thing I want to bring up is the unfortunate tendency of this show to lose its damn mind any time <laughs> a character, like, has breasts. Um... <laughs> And, you know, everyone has to comment on them. Everyone has to stare. Everyone has to blush. Somebody's nose has to start bleeding. Um, yeah. So this, in, in this case, it's uh, uh, Marissa, who, right. or Marisa, or whatever, however you pronounce it, who is Hyodo's mother. Um, <laughs> but everyone from, you know, the teenagers to the elderly men spend... Every scene that they're with her, they spend looking directly at her. And w- what gets me is it's just sort of pointlessly pervy. Because th- this show can't really treat the character as having a role that's fully separated from her figure. And, you know, we don't even know what her relationship to any of these people is. The most information we get is how people react to her body. And... I don't know the the extended close-ups and people giving the side eye to her breasts is just like it's weird i don't know i i don't know what it accomplishes I, I, the sense i get from the show um and this may be trying to justify it more than anything because the show does have this sort of unnatural tendency to constantly draw attention to it yeah. but the way i'm kind of seeing it is that within the narrative so the whole point of the dance is to sort of take the spotlight you know they may you know they make that uh that mention that Kyoto and shizuku can get by just based on their silhouette alone Uh like to kind of get by those earlier rounds it's all about trying to draw attention to people and i guess like the whole idea is 
how do you draw attention to people? Some people have, you know, have to work for, you know, you have to show your sheer passion to people. But, you know, there is something to be said about the fact that some people you can just look at and they just, you immediately turn your head towards them. Now, I get what you're saying as well. Like, the show is taking on reasonably pervy take towards this. Yeah, it's even weirder that it's Yodo's mom. Like, I don't know. That just makes it especially uncomfortable for me. I See, for me, it's actually a little funny. Like, just because there's that scene where... Because there's that scene with Tenpei and Marissa where, like... She's sort like she's sort of near like she's sitting on like the edge of his chair and she's sort of like rubbing his face a little bit, uh-huh. sort of like sort of coyly and seductively. I, what got me about that scene actually was the fact that in a lot of these sorts of shows, they they have the main character like or the male character who's like overly protective of his mom, like oh what are you doing with him, mom? Like yeah. put that be more decent. I, I got I got a bit of a laugh of the fact that literally you just see Hyoto sitting there yawning. Yeah, he has no reaction. Like, he has no... It's like, I'm just so used to this at this point. Like, it doesn't even... It's like, I don't even care. Like... Yeah. Um, and I I guess from that, I'm su- we're supposed to sort of take... This is all just sort of normal uh, for these characters. You know, you, you know, to be a dancer, you do need to be the head turner. You know, you do need to be the one that everybody's staring at. But yeah, the fact that they're constantly... It, it feels the, the so to me it feels like the show itself like the camera is being tricked by the character design you know like it, it, right. it's which i'm not saying that as a compliment i'm saying that yeah. you, you know if we're to believe that the characters in this world are reacting to her because of her quote-unquote charisma um but the show can't help itself but hyper focus on one part of her body anyway Right, well, I think that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't think it's entirely unintentional, because I think what they're trying to show is that she sort of exudes this sexuality about her, so naturally the camera's going to be drawn towards her. I don't know. Um, It feels like an excuse for lazy pandering. No, I mean, I don't disagree. I'm just saying, I'm trying, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to understand where it's coming from and giving it, trying to give it a bit of the benefit of the doubt. I don't know, the but the, time, it's not the like, done it a lot. yeah, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. Sorry for interrupting you, but the, uh, no, you're fine. Yeah. The show has had a close up on someone's breasts or some breast focused gag in the majority of the episodes. You know, and I don't think that it's always been, you know, in order to justify their charisma on the dance floor. I think it's mostly been because of, you know, the base motive. Um, Anyway, so this this episode ends with uh, Mako saying that, you know, for the first time she wants to uh, bloom on the dance floor and she wants Tadara to help her take the spotlight. So I will say that that's something I'm looking forward to having the partner character be given an opportunity to shine and show some right. of the like selfishness that was inherent in Tadara's dance style. Right. And it's kind of interesting too. Like, I don't know how I feel about this. On one hand, it's interesting. On the other hand, I'm kind of wary of it. Like the, like we have a bit of a flashback with Mako uh, talking to uh, Gaju being like, we're supposed to believe through this flashback that Gaju wasn't actually the one at fault. Uh, because, you know, he did actually ask her how she wanted to dance. And her response was, oh, I don't care. I just don't want to get in your way. 
And that sort of apparently offended Gaju to, like, a degree, because, you know, he doesn't want to, uh, you know, he doesn't, because he doesn't like the fact that his partner doesn't seem to care about their dance. On one hand, I kind of like it because it's a nice moment for Mako to show some character growth. At the other, on the other hand, though, that's not really the sort of character that we've been presented with, with Gaju, the sort of guy who literally doesn't seem to care about Shizuku herself, the fact that he just wants to dance with her because she's got a nice body. Yeah, yeah so we'll see where that goes. It's kind of undetermined whether he's a jerk or if he's a, a jerk with a golden heart. Um, right. But uh, one thing that we do know is that I didn't prepare for this transition, and I'm going to talk about <laughs> Dive now. Um, <laughs> right, so Go for it, buddy. Dive, episode eight. Uh, the focus is on Okitsu, who at the end of the last episode went home, and in this episode is home. Uh, he has a, he, He's talking with his girlfriend, Kyoko, who exists, uh, about how he kind of wants to stop diving uh, he just wants to become a fisherman and then suddenly tomo and yoichi show up at his house and they start hanging out they dive off of uh the cliff that okitsu you know grew up diving off of um and then they casually mention that they went to china already <laughs> and the training camp was hard but good um right and by the end of the episode uh okitsu's not convinced about going back to Tokyo to keep training, uh, but Asaki did send him a DVD with video of his grandfather's dive uh, and a letter telling him that he should try to uh, reach his limit. Uh, and at the very end, we find out that although Yoichi has made the Japanese Olympic team, uh, Tomo and Akitsu have not. Right. Um, so, I have a question for you, Matt. Uh huh. Did we miss an episode? Sure feels like it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, I am just in such disbelief that they skipped over the training camp. Yeah. Like, that's... the entire event that this show was building up to. Well, right. It's just, it's strange because train the training camp episode is sort of a stock sports anime episode that you just assume you're gonna you're gonna get to see it, it's one of the things you kind of look forward to oh how are they gonna do a training camp you want to see them interact with new characters you want to see them pushed to new heights um but they just they don't even have a flashback of it you don't get to see these characters they've been talking about this chinese coach for weeks and now they talk about him in the past tense they're like yeah uh, coach sure was interesting ha 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 um <laughs> I really, I get the sense that the original light novel that this was based off of uh, was actual, like, I get the feeling that it probably went into that, but the show is sort of, like, they only got 12, 13 episodes to wrap this up, so oh, they decided, yeah. eh, we're gonna skip over this, and frankly, the what people really want are the boys interacting, because, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of, but, and it's like, that's not the interesting part of this show to me, like, all I could think was watching this was... Why would Yoichi and Tomo go visit Okitsu? They weren't that close. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they took their only three days off to go. I mean, I get it that it's it's a trip and it's fun, but what are they doing in Tokyo? Like, why? I, I don't understand any of the build-up to any of this. Right. Like, I, I could almost buy it if they were like... 
like if we had seen the training before and we had seen just the hell that they were put through like maybe they could have a discussion and be like you know i just want to see a friendly face you want to go see okitsu mm-hmm. like what else have we got going on like and like in that sort of case i could buy it but we don't see that yeah and it, all like we're, we're they're just dropped on them it's also funny because clearly the relationship between Tomo and Yuichi has changed. Like, they're much more comfortable around each other. There's less of that sense of, like, Tomo being, being intimidated by Yuichi. It, it seems like, they, you know, they have this common experience, and they've sort of developed right. a kind of friendship, and they joke around. And it's completely unearned, because you don't see any of it. It's just, oh, well, of <laughs> course they're friends now, because remember, they went to China. Um, but we don't remember, because it just happened off screen. Right, and the other thing I was thinking of as well, watching this episode, why are we having an episode focused on Okitsu in the first place? He wasn't really that major of a character throughout all the other events. He was always kind of there as an aside, like, you know, there's this crazy... He was kind of there to add pressure to Tomo's, like, own diving. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was kind of another rival for him to surpass, you know, the sort of wild diver who couldn't be tamed, but, like, you know, he had just such raw talent that, you know, maybe he could get chosen over Tomo. Yeah, it, it feels like at this point the show is done with Tomo's personal arc, you know, right. what? where did Tomo need to get to? He needed to get to the place where he didn't mind getting dumped by the girl he didn't like and decided to keep <laughs> diving anyway. Um, so he doesn't really have much place to go now he's sort of resolved uh, his character arc so now we just have this third character okitsu and he needs to figure things out for reasons i guess right like and that's the thing it's like i don't really care that much about okitsu yeah like maybe i should the show hasn't really done much to like make us care about him at all like I, I don't know. It just, like, this felt like such a random, bizarre episode to throw in there. And, you know, it's like, what you're saying there, it's like, you know, Tomo's already had his growth and everything like that. But it's, I don't know, I kind of feel like there's still more of a story arc. You know, he's kind of overcoming his issues with his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Like, you know, but, you know, I'm, he sort of resigned himself. I'm saying there should be more of a story arc with Tomo, because last I checked, he was the main character. Um, right. But I don't think the show agrees with us. Which is just strange to me, because there's clearly more for him to learn, you know? He can kind of, like, learn more about this competitive world of diving, you know? Like, he can still... There's still room for him to grow yeah. as, like, a character. Yeah, I mean, but he's I, 14. I there's definitely room for him to grow. Um, <laughs> the, uh... So, I don't know. We'll see. They randomly introduced Okitsu as a girlfriend. Why? Uh, to pressure him to keep diving. And then Tomo and Yuichi come. Why? To pressure him to keep diving. And then Asaki writes him a letter. Why? To pressure him to keep diving. I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> Is he going to keep diving? Uh, chances are, yes. I, You know, honestly, I'd only be happy if he didn't at this point. I'd, I'd just love <laughs> to see uh, someone defy the expected narrative. Um, yeah, that's fair. Anyway, uh, so Fastest Finger First also exists. <laughs> I am nailing these. Um... So, Fastest Finger First, episode 8. Uh, this is finally the regular meet at uh, Asagaoka. Uh, the meet starts with a paper quiz, um, which Sasajima manages to win. 
but none of uh, the rest of the characters from Buzo finish in the top 10, so the rest of them have to go on to a pair quiz where they get randomly paired with another competitor, probably from another school, and right. uh, try to pass through rounds that way. Um, so Fukami manages to get into the next round along with her partner, um, but Inoue gets knocked out, and by the end of the episode, it uh, becomes apparent that Koshiyama is going to be paired with the mystery cross-dresser <coughs> character, who is also there as a quiz club member from a different high school. Right. Correct, yes. Um, so, this episode was fine, I would say. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it... It didn't particularly, like, stand out, um... It didn't, but it didn't really do anything wrong. Yeah, I, would say. I was glad to just see an honest to goodness quiz round. You know, like yeah. at least they did the thing that the show is about. <laughs> right, and then, you know, we had some fun in character interactions. Like, I really liked uh, Sasajima actually getting a little bit more background yeah. with uh, Okura, uh, his former teammate. I, I love this moment that they have where uh, Okura like has this very lengthy explanation in his head why Sasajima was able to figure out what the uh, what the tiebreaker question would be. Uh-huh. Like, he was like, ah, you know, he must have used, like, this format, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, you see Sasajima is like, I literally just looked at their website. Yeah. Like, it was listed as last year's we- as last year's question, so I just took it. And it's like, I, I don't know, it-, it was kind of just like a fun... It's- I like what that says about Okura, this guy who just sort of overthinks uh, everything and the sort of person that could actually have a friendship with Sasajima. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it was good to just... I mean, we had assumed that Sasajima had transferred out of Kaijo, uh, but it was right. good to see that confirmed. It, it didn't totally answer why he left, but it, it was clear that he there was something about that quiz club that didn't feel right to him. Um, and I think I think right. we'll probably see more than that, more about that. Um, if I'm willing to guess, it's that you know they don't have a pure love of the game or something to that effect, right? <laughs> or maybe you know he just got bored of winning and he wanted to uh, challenge himself. Yeah, just sort of challenge himself even further by training somebody else. You know, it's possible. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of room for Sasajima there. Like, and honestly, he's probably one of the more interesting characters in the show. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of got a kick as well out of Mikiura this episode. The fact that th- there was just a small suggestion there. Like, he managed to get by on the written quiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just sort of barely managed yeah. to squeak by on that. Like, And I like what that says about his character. Like, he really is the hothead of Quiz Bowl. Because, like, when it comes to actual knowledge, he's not very good. Like, he is entirely based around understanding the mechanics of the actual game while sort of neglecting the knowledge aspect of it, which is, I I don't know, it's kind of a fun take. Mm -hmm. I agree. Although, you know, to be in the top ten, he was still one of the better ones. But yeah, he's not, just because he does well in the live competitions doesn't mean he's uh, the best at the, the background knowledge. Right. Um... And that's it. <laughs> to be honest, like, I, I'm looking at my notes, I'm like, that's every Like, it, it was pretty focused just on the mechanics of the couple competition rounds we had themselves. There wasn't right. a lot to get into. They were perfectly pleasant, fun, you know, positive. I am not, I don't know, I'm not looking forward to having to delve into uh, the cross-dresser character. Right. Just because I'm, I'm just trepidatious that it's going to be icky. 
Um, but <laughs> whatever. Right. Um, I, I will say that I, I. It's fun to watch the mechanics in this show unfold. Like the one thing I will say about it is that each episode. Well, every episode that they actually do something with the quiz bowl, they actually try and mix it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. They sort of throw a new rule at you, or they sort of... They, they keep it interesting, they keep it fresh every time, and I think that's that's an advantage of this show that's been kind of nice. Um, like, I never feel like it's gotten just completely stale. Like, I feel like there's at least something to learn. Like, for this one with the mechanics of the, the partner quiz, uh, where, you know... Uh, both people have to answer to get to get like an individual point apiece for their overall team. Right. Which yeah. So anyway, uh would you like to move on to uh Clean Freak Aoyama? Well as usual the answer is no, but if we must <laughs> Okay, so episode eight, uh there's this guy named Umea. He was originally on the judo team, but he leaves the judo team to go uh, apparently join the soccer club so he can stock Goto. Um, but he feels as if though he can't actually ask her to like go out with him. So instead he just sort of awkwardly follows her around and sort of stoically protects her from everybody. He is also trying to push Goto and, uh, Aoyama together. They go on a sort of weird, like triple date to the zoo where they're having a cat event. Uh, end of the episode, nothing happens. Like, Aoyama and Goto are still about the same, and Umeya is not, like, pursuing it. I I don't know what else to say yeah, about it. Yeah, well, like, it, it is strange, and so we actually simul-watched this one because I didn't feel like I could face Aoyama alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that for later episodes. Yeah, it's probably not going to get better. Um, But... What was strange, so this Umea character is basically just another version of Aoyama. He's not a clean freak, but he's just this, you know, silent, stoic type who is perfect at everything he tries to do. Uh, so in this case, in Judo, he's literally unbeatable at Judo. Uh, right. But then he decides to be unbeatable at staring at Goto all the time. Um, yeah. And... So because the focus of the episode is on this silent stoic character who follows around Aoyama who's a silent stoic character and Goto just stands there and blushes, no one, none of them have anything to say to the other because everything goes unsaid except for Aoyama who just has nothing to say in the first place about right. anything ever. Um, so we get the, you know, the Three Stooges characters like <laughs> Sakamoto and the other stereotype characters who follow them around and spy on them the entire episode and specifically right. spell out everything that's happening they're like so they right. just follow them around like they rent separate boats and they just stalk them the whole day and say like oh Umeya seems to be supporting Aoyama and Goto, even though he's the one who likes Goto, but he wants to support what Goto wants, wow, he must be a nice right. guy. And all of that is said specifically, even though it was clearly implied, but there, if they didn't have those characters spelling everything out, no character would say anything the whole episode. 
Yeah, basically. Like, that's the problem. Is like, their entire purpose in this episode is just to keep talking. Yeah. Like, because otherwise there would be no dialogue or very minimal dialogue. Yeah, it, it, it gives the illusion. Funny. It gives the illusion that something's happening, but right. nothing occurs. <laughs> like, literally nothing occurs this episode. I guess we run into Odagiri at one point, yeah. and she sort of joins them on their date. And they have another section where Aoyama is okay with being touched by Odagiri. Yeah. And what comes of that? Nothing. No. Like It becomes a little clearer that Odagiri's not, you know, totally, I guess, clueless. It, it, it gives the indication that she might be interested in Aoyama too, but there's no indication that he reciprocates, and she just sort of follows him around until, at the end of the episode... Uh, when Aoyama and Goto are on a boat by themselves, and everyone's like, ooh, is someone going to confess? And Odagiri's like, oh, what's happening with them? And then a bunch of fish jump out of the water, and she just looks at fish. Why? <laughs> because it happened. Yeah, sure, why not? I guess it's just suppo supposed to show that she's kind of spacey, and, you know, she's, like, yeah, she's sort of but easily distracted. Yeah, why would suddenly, like, 15 fish jump out of the water right by her boat for reasons? I don't know. I mean, there's there's like, no reason to anything that's occurring. Umea is a non-character. What I don't get is they keep introducing these, they have a bunch of characters who already exist in the show, right. and they just don't do anything with them they'd rather introduce other carbon copies of aoyama and have them interact and add nothing to the storyline right you know it's interesting because it's like literally every single character is in some way a carbon copy of aoyama because clean freak the the second clean freak well that's obvious yeah. uh odagiri is kind of supposed to be the female version of him in that she's sort of this high ideal mm -hmm. uh the manga author is was also the sort of cool brooding loner mm -hmm. Uh, and now this guy, I mean, he's basically the 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 perfect at everything. Yeah. Also, is it just me, or is it like the fact that the series is sort of espousing his sort of distant love of Goto kind of creepy? Like, well, yeah. So he at the end of the episode, he they they ask him whether he's okay with Goto and Aoyama, you know, being together, and Goto whatever still liking Aoyama and he says well as long as I can get buried next to her right. and that's and I mean it's... even the characters in the show think it's weird but it's not clear whether the show really condemns how weird that is <laughs> right like I, I think it understands that that's a joke but I don't think they understand it understands how dark that joke is yeah like, he is perfectly fine with her being with somebody else, but they will die next to one another, mm -hmm. essentially. Like, I don't know. And it's like, do you not understand how insanely creepy that is? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if there's anything that this show is good at, it's taking things that aren't funny and saying that they're jokes enough until it expects the audience to believe it. <laughs> This might be the worst show that we've watched thus far. Hey, like, we got I'm... four more weeks. It can only go lower. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I I'm done talking about this. Speaking of going lower, you want to talk about the sinkers and big windups? Wow, that almost 
I don't know. Yeah, I you know, we, it's always a stretch, and our transitions are always stupid. So, sure, I will talk about Big Wind-Up episode uh, 21. Um, so, the whole, the whole episode is pretty much focused on the eighth inning. Um, Tose is starting to figure out uh, Mahashi's approach, um, and, but Nishiura is up to bat, and they're able to get a couple people on base, even though Tajima himself still strikes out. He's not able to reach the sinker, as Matt alluded to. Um, right. But once he gets back to his position as the first base coach, he's able to aggressively steal because he has figured out Junta's, um, basically what the, the, the signal of when Junta is going to throw over to first, uh, right. this helps Tose figure out that, okay, only Tajima knows what this means. By the end of the episode, the, uh, bases are loaded for Nishiro's batter Mizutani, uh, who freaks out, but somehow is able to hit a ground ball through the middle, um, and score a run, so by the end of the inning, they are tied 3-3. to Excuse me, by the end of the half inning, they're tied 3-3. to Right. So, I think the major takeaway from this episode was Tajima's Mm -hmm. at-bat. Because, I mean, it took up most of the episode, to be honest. Uh, I did, I really like this moment, actually, because I like how the series is sort of getting some payoff with uh, denying Tajima that hit because we're kind of constantly expecting him to find like when is Tajima gonna get his moment mm-hmm. or is he gonna get uh, get his moment and I really love the fact that everything all the runs that they've scored thus far have been mostly uh, have been mostly independent of Tajima's uh, actual batting it's been partially due to the fact that he's like able to uh, tell the the pitching motions but like his whole, you know, his whole role on the team is the their ace hitter, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, or, you know, he's the cleanup hitter. So I, I really like the fact that this was playing off of that. And then, like, it was constantly denying us that, like, that hit. Because he was, like, it was real. It's like sometimes a lot of shows feel like they're just dragging things out for the sake of dragging it out. This was actually dragging something out effectively because the tension was... I, I don't know about for you, I was kind of on the edge of my seat seeing whether or not this was going to be Tajima's moment or well, not. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. There's tension built into any at-bat that has whatever, like, he fouled off five pitches or something, maybe six. Right. Uh, and so you just, you feel like after all that, you're like, okay, something big is about to happen because he's been so close on so many pitches and all the, all the other characters are like, oh, he's about to catch up to this fastball. He's about to do it. We know he's going to do it. And then he doesn't do it. And he, you know, he right. himself expects that he should be able to do it. Uh, he has the image in, in his own head of being able to do it. And then he doesn't. And so I like I like the after effects of that where he goes back into the dugout and he feels like he let everybody down. That was, you know, he, he sort of thinks to himself, that was probably my last at bat. You know, this is the end of my season. Uh, high school baseball is harder than I thought. You know, he, he effectively gives up on the game because he feels so incapable. You know, if I can't get a hit, we're done for, you know. Right. And it's like, and it's, like a, it's a nice moment of character for Tajima, who's been kind of this sort of... He, he hasn't felt totally human yeah. up until now. Yeah. Cause he's always kind of felt more like a character. Mm-hmm than like an actual person and it, it's nice kind of finally getting him to lose mm-hmm. 
to sort of kind of break him just a little bit because he's not like he's not you don't see him like completely and utterly in despair but you can definitely tell that there's something a little bit off about him because he sort of comes back to the dugout without a word mm-hmm. um what i also love is that when he gets that strikeout there's a mo- like there's a moment with the sound that's just beautiful where he swings the bat and you actually hear the crack of the bat and so for that split second you think he got the hit Mm -hmm. but it's like all he really did was just barely nick the ball yeah it was just a foul tip and the catcher caught it so he struck out anyway yeah exactly but it's like you but it like it really sort of like gets you like just in that one moment like you hear that hit, you think he got it, but then it immediately pulls away. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I, I don't know, it's like, I, I really, really, even though it took like 10 minutes, I really enjoyed that sequence. Unfortunately, it was kind of the only sequence in the episode outside of Mizutani getting that sort of lucky wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, I do kind of appreciate the fact that Mizutani actually got to do something, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of this game has re- uh, revolved around Mihashi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, pretty much all of their runs have actually... Like, both of their runs prior had been scored basically due to Mihashi. And Mihashi was about to go up at bat. So there was kind of this expectation of, oh, is Mizu, is Mihoshi gonna... Or Mihashi gonna get them out of it again? Uh, so I'm kind of glad that they sort of denied that and actually gave that moment mm-hmm. to Mizutani. Sort of this character you don't even really think about. I didn't even know his name until this episode. Yeah, he, he hasn't done a whole lot. But it's good to see that. And it was good to see Mihashi sort of have this role he was the one who was able to convince tajima that he still mattered to the team um and i i as annoying as mahashi can be from time to time overall i really like him just as showing like even though he's very sort of awkward and skittish he people do appreciate it and he's extremely honest with saying like what he values about other people so when tajima hears how much Mahashi values him and trusts him and how it doesn't change anything that he struck out. Um, that's the thing that can really sort of get him back in the game. Um, so I, I enjoyed seeing because, you know, the first half of this show, uh, Mahashi had always been the recipient of encouragement. So it's good to see him right. comfortable enough in his own shoes and comfortable enough in his place on the team that he can be the one who's encouraging other people. Right. Even if it takes it takes a bit to actually get it out of him, right? As was in the case of this episode, yeah, that's 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 just comes with the package. But over, <laughs> overall, it was good. I mean, honestly, I can't think of a big wind up episode where we haven't said, you know, overall, it was good. Uh, <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Well, Matt, I appreciate your time as always, um, and uh, I will talk with you further next week. Goodbye. Looking forward to it. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training. Keep training.